It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Dana White privilege to my Kobe Covington, Nick John Bracha III. Nick, we're coming off of USC 286, a pretty solid overall event, man, and we're going to break it down, and we're also going to break down this weekend's Vera versus Sanhagen card, a, a pretty decent fight night card, if you ask me, man. How are you, buddy? I'm okay, but I actually I actually sustained a pretty severe head injury in the last couple of days. I have been roughing you up. Is that is that what happened? Is that what it is? No, I, I no, this is serious business, Dan. I, I tripped and fell and hit my head, and it... Unfortunately, it's really impaired my memory, which is a little off-putting. <laughs> so I was hoping that I was hoping you could help me. Uh-huh. To date, yeah, in the year 2023, who's winning our our challenge? Who's winning our contest to see who the best MMA uh, analyst and picker uh, fight picker is? Because I, I honestly, I just, I can't. I can't remember, and I can't go back and listen to our old shows because in, in the state I'm in, I get a headache pretty quickly. So I was, I was hoping you could, you could help me. Well, to be honest, like I just want to confirm before I answer, you really can't remember. I, I mean, I'll go I'll, when I feel better. I'll go through the paper. Then I'm up by twenty, Nick. I'm up by twenty points. Oh my God, I'm healed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ellie, my memory's back, and you were getting smacked around. One point five points. The crown is on my head. It hurts. My neck is sore. Dude, what is going on with you? You haven't beat me in like six weeks. What? What's wrong? Uh, you know what? Are you, it, you, like, do you, mm-hmm. are you are you spending too much time with your kids? Like, what's the what's the problem? Here? You know what it is, Nick. When you've been champ for so many years, and and by the way, the title doesn't get relinquished because you won a couple of rounds. The title uh, the title gets handed to the winner at the end of the season, Nick, and that is at the end of this year. Thus far, the only title holder in the history of this podcast has been yours truly. Um, but no, Lee, you have been you have been slowly you've been nipping and tucking, man. It's been a point here, a point and a half there. You've been slowly, slowly picking up points on me, and I gotta give give you props for that, dude. You are now a point and a half up, thirty one point five points for you, thirty points for me. I believe it was the draw in the last event that uh, gave you that extra kind of half a point. Which let's face it, you probably shouldn't have gotten. That was referee interference, but that's okay. I'm not going to make excuses, Nick. You see, the difference between me and you, Nick, I, I think I can, uh, I, I found like the, the mixed martial arts feud that is similar to ours, right? You have Kamara Usman and you have Kobe Covington. And Kobe Covington, when he loses, he just makes all kinds of excuses. He claims he's still the winner. He talks all kinds of trash. If he ever wins a fight or if he ever wins a round, he talks trash to no end. And Kamara Usman, if something happens and he loses, he gives you all the props in the world. And if Kamara Usman wins, he's still pretty respectable, respectful at the end of it, Nick. And and so I found I found like our our avatars in the mixed martial arts welterweight division, and uh, and you are Kobe Chaos Covington, man. Well, you dress you you dress like Usman. Thank you, man, dude. I I cannot afford all that Dolce and Cabana, but if they were to send me some stuff to model them on Instagram. Uh, in, in, oh, it's just my come on, man! It's just my heel persona. You know I don't can't stand. Oh, you're just gonna break. Uh, you're just gonna break character, just like well, I got yeah, to you, yeah, just like know, that, Nick. Making, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're making me sound like a horrible N- person. Nick, my comparing me to Kobe, comparing me to Kobe Covington is not something I can. I, I even even for the entertainment of our dozens and dozens. Um, 
Yeah. You know, Nick, the, the, the head games, they don't usually show themselves. Uh, they, don't, they don't usually come to fruition until after the fight. And, Nick, I just played a, a, just a very minor head game with you, and you fell apart, Nick. And I'm glad oh. that we're going into picking this event because I'm going to need all the help I can get, apparently, based on the streak that you've been on, man. Congratulations. Seriously, you've been you, – you've been uh, – uh-huh. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. You, you've been you've been inching up on me, man. You've been you've been getting the edge after years of me essentially dominating. Um, historically, it's been like you doing pretty well in in the first kind of quarter of the season, and me kind of starting to slowly take over and and run away with it toward the end of the season. And then you kind of had a have a decent uh, a decent moment at the end where you start to kind of catch up a little bit. So it has been you know the, the momentum has been shifting back and forth throughout our picking. Uh, on this podcast, and we're now 167 episodes in, Nick. Uh, let's get into the UFC 287, 286, excuse me, card, Edwards versus Usman, man. So, you know, going into this, we knew that Edwards did not look good in the rematch, man. He had a great first round, and then he just wasn't throwing anything, kept uh, allowing himself to be backed up against that cage. And keeping his hands really high against Usman's kind of punching volleys, which allowed Usman to dive right under and go for those takedowns and get them relatively easily. Usman wasn't doing a fantastic job of getting up to his feet. Usman wasn't doing a fantastic job of establishing his jab, his kicking game, in order to keep Usman at at kind of the range that he wanted him in, right? And Usman was able to initiate his pressure. It it almost seemed like Edwards made it easy for him last time. And I think a lot of that, especially now in retrospect, retrospect, can be attributed to two things. Well, maybe three things. One is Leon Edwards' confidence. Way higher after getting that knockout after Usman, after Usman in their second fight. Kamara Usman's confidence is quite a bit lower in his durability, right? Like, there is something to be said about the fact that you were completely shut off, and then suddenly, and leading up to you being shut off, you were rocked several times in those fights leading up to it. And then you were rocked a couple times by Leon Edwards, right? That's not that's not going to help you to want to take risks and throw strikes at Leon Edwards, because you don't want to get knocked out again. And another thing that could be attributed to it, too, is the elevation at which they fought in Utah that second time around. I think that really helped Usman, who regularly trains in Colorado at elevation. Uh, He was comfortable in that mode. He's already known for his conditioning, right? On top of that, he's comfortable um, fighting above sea level, whereas Edwards probably came in a few days ahead of the fight, maybe a week ahead of the fight, didn't really have the time to acclimate, didn't really have the time to train at that elevation and get his cardio to where it should be uh, to be able to function in the same way um, where less oxygen is going into your system per minute. And we had Leon Edwards coming in there. And what happened in this fight, from my perspective at least, is that Edwards essentially decided, I'm going to play the classic Southpaw game. And this is something that we recently saw with um, uh, the, the the light heavyweight Jamal Jamal Hill, who played this game in, in his uh, title-winning fight against Glover Teixeira, right? Left kick to the leg, left kick to the body, left kick to the head. Consistently, that is a dangerous game. That is the classic Crow Cup game. I believe he's the guy that brought that to mixed martial arts and kind of showed it at a high level. And Leon Edwards did the same thing here. He was throwing his leg kick, and Kamar Usman's knees have been an issue for years now. He's admitted it in interviews in the past, and you see it over time. He's not able to explode in the same way that he used to. He's got to kind of hold you up against the fence and, and cut an angle to take you down. He can't do the same things he used to be able to do. Those leg kicks are going to hurt that all the more. The body kicks, right, that's always going to be a factor, especially since it's targeting the liver. And it, it, it makes you kind of keep your arm a little bit lower so you can protect the body, leaving your head open. The head kicks, he just knocked them out last fight with a head kick. So 
It just felt like Usman didn't have truly a way in. And don't get me wrong, it was a competitive overall fight. Usman didn't have a true way in. And every time Usman closed the distance, Edwards was ready with that left knee up the middle. And he clocked him with it a couple times and rocked him with it a couple times. So Usman just felt like there was no range in which he could be fully comfortable. And even though I thought that he probably eked out very close uh, uh, two of those rounds, I thought that the right, the, the better fighter overall probably uh, won. And I think there's something to be said about 170 pounds and below, Nick. Fighters at 35 plus in age, they don't have a great track record in title fights. It matters much, much more. It matters way more at 135 than it does at 170. But it, there just seems to be kind of a split between 185 and 170. <clears throat> and above 185, obviously, and below 170, where the older you are, the more of a factor it is. Speed reflexes are much bigger factors in those lower weight divisions. You're ending up taking more strikes by better conditioned fighters who have less weight that they're carrying. Uh, and it seems to have more of a detrimental effect long-term, man. Uh, good on Edwards. Really, really good stuff by him. And I'm curious to see where he goes from here. What were your thoughts, man? You pretty much said it all. The question I have for you is after, you know, there was a report that came out after Usman Edwards 2 that Usman, after he got knocked out, um, did feel like a sense of relief. Relief around carrying the burden of not, not having had a loss in the UFC. I assume also the burden of being the champion and all that comes with that in terms of responsibilities. The pressure, yeah. The pre Once you have been relieved of that and you feel relief and you have to push your body and your mind to its ends to reachieve that from which you were happy to escape, is that a wall? Like, you tell me as a competitor, if Usman felt, if his instinct after getting knocked out was relief, less than a year later going back and needing to like essentially fight to the death in order to recoup that which he was relieved to lose is that is that a block wouldn't you want to hear as soon as he was defeated that he can't wait to come back and get what's his I'm just curious around the psych the, the competitor psychology there, and if you have any insights on it. Well, here's the thing. I, I think that for somebody like Rose Namajunas, you believe that she felt a tremendous amount of pressure, and she was a, having a hard time dealing with it. Her mind has been her biggest kind of detriment in her career, even though she's supremely talented. For a guy like Kamara Usman, I think it was probably more a way for him to spin it in a positive way, right? To to put a positive spin on the fact that he was just knocked unconscious in front of tens of thousands of people live and, and you know, maybe uh, certainly hundreds of thousands uh, watching on pay-per-view. Um, and so I tend to think that that wasn't as much of a mental block. I, I tend to think it was with Usman, you know, it's kind of like with Tyron Woodley, where Woodley was a fraction, like was not a great fighter. And he still defended his title a couple of times after that for a couple of reasons. One is just being fortunate enough for guys like Darren Till to run into his right hand and facing guys at the level of Darren Till. In retrospect now, we know that guy was never truly elite, right? Um, and, and two is because there, there's something to be said with people facing him being extremely careful. If you look at uh, if you look at Usman's last few fights, he had a competitive uh, decision with Colby Covington. Uh, some people believe that Colby Covington edged him in the, in the last half of that fight. George Masvidal, yeah, he knocked him out quickly, to be fair. But George Masvidal, let's not get ourselves, has always been a journeyman, right? He's got he's got about half as many losses as he has wins. Gilbert Burns rocked him pretty badly a couple of times in that first round. Kamar Usman had to kind of come back and win that fight. So, and, and again, dating back to Colby Covington the first time. Super competitive fight. Arguably, Colby Co Covington was ahead, according to some. Tyron Woodley, he beat. Tyron Woodley is, 
you know, back in 2019, not a very good fighter, clearly, right? And so if, if, you, if you look at some of the people that he's beaten, if you look at where his career trajectory has been heading, it has been heading kind of in a negative way. And the reason he was able to do well against Leon Edwards uh, in the first, in the, in the middle portion of that second fight seems to me is because of Leon Edwards' lack of confidence in that fight and because of Leon Edwards' lack of acclimation to elevation. So I tend to think that that was just a, him putting a positive spin on a loss. Um, I, I don't tend to think that he's mentally weak. I, I do think there's something to be said about Trevor Whitman and the effect that he has on his fighters. He's, he's the kind of guy who wants his fighters to fight beautifully. He doesn't want them to pressure. He doesn't want them to get into firefights. He wants them to outslick his opposition. And we've seen Rose having the ability to do that. We've seen that Kamar Usman has been more prone to heading in that direction rather than the pressure game that got him to the title and that got him to win the title. And we saw that with Justin Gaethje, who Justin Gaethje is such an insane brawler that pulling him back some by Trevor Whitman is probably a pretty good sign in many matchups. Not as much for somebody like Rosa Mayunas, whose pressure style was a big reason for her success, and not so much with somebody like Kamara Usman. So I think, again, there are multiple factors here. I'm not convinced that like Kamara Usman's mental weakness was a big issue. I do think his confidence suffered because he was knocked out and because he was getting rocked, and he felt it in this fight, though. Thanks. That was, I think that was helpful for our listeners. Dana White proclaimed that Kobe Covington is going to be oh, the God. clear-cut next contender for that title. What are your thoughts on this? I, I both understand and despise it. <laughs> um, I despise it because I hate Colby. I despise it because he's um, because the I find the persona that he plays to be abhorrent. But I get that that's the point. It, it really goes down to it goes deep into one's worldview. I think, which is like everyone brings suspension of disbelief to professional sports and and it really comes from like the professional wrestling side. This is not an Olympic or collegiate amateur sport where it's all, it's really about skill and talent and the best person wins. This is a promotion that is about money. And the fact of the matter is as good as he's been fighting as much as we hardcore fans love his, his improvements. If you are the CFO of the UFC, and you see, and, and you see, um, you know, number estimates on what a Bilal Muhammad, Leon Edwards, uh, pay per view in the UK will do, versus a Colby Covington one. It's you follow the money, like it's. I don't like it, but if we're pretend, like it only, it only makes sense to give it to Bilal Muhammad if we close our eyes and, and cover our ears and pretend that we don't know what the UFC is. So like, of course, Colby gets the next shot. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy about it, but this isn't a sport. It's a business first. Well, at least and in that you don't get um, a title shot purely based on meritocracy, right? In that way. Nothing, it's yeah. not, a, yeah, any, any, any real sport is a meritocracy. He, he with the most points, he with the most wins. He would like amateur sports are that way. Like, this is not that. These are prize fights, and they follow the bigger prize. Now, there are some instances of, like, I don't I don't begrudge the UFC for giving Bisbing Dan Henderson, even though there were much, much more deserving middleweights. I kind of do. Or giving, him, or, or giving him GSP. I mean, it, it was kind of annoying, but we knew that Bisbing wasn't going to be there long, and it's... And because those guys like GSP and Hendo 
were also fan favorites and in theory were the faces against the heel Bisbing. It was really before Bisbing's full face turn. It's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just like, I'm not surprised. Do I wish that Colby had done, had done more? I mean, the more that he's done has been outside. He's gotten all this legal trouble with Masvidal, which get which gets impressed. Um, you know, he he is extremely effective on the microphone, even though I think he's disgusting. Um, you know, he's made me hate him. I have no idea what it would be like to spend forty five minutes in my living room talking to Colby coming to the human. Believe it or um, not, everybody think... says he's the nicest, most polite guy in person. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've heard that too. So it's just like, yeah, it makes sense because this isn't a, this isn't really a sport. This is like, um, you know, in Major League Baseball, if the Yankees finish third, you don't put them in the World Series anyway because, like, you know, they're going to get higher ratings. You can't do right, that, right, 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 and, and that's what makes it tricky. But here's the thing: Bilal Muhammad has a handful of wins. It's true, but. That's the thing is that I think according you're right according to the UFC at least he hasn't made enough noise. Uh, he's trying to promote himself in different ways. He's trying to be creative on social media, and that's you know it's gotten much better. Yeah, yeah, much, and, and he's being more vocal better. to be to his credit, right? Like the, the fact compare him to uh, I'm interrupt you. I'm interrupt you. I'm the fucking champion right now. I'm it. You right. are not the champion. Compare, I'm still the champ. Sorry. Similar. I'm the champion. Consider <laughs> for just a moment. Uh huh. During the same time period, the steps that Bilal Muhammad has taken towards stardom versus Benil Daryush. Who's, who was starting to come into his own around the same time, right? And has had pretty and has turned a corner in a similar way at 155. Benil has given long Jesus-centric promos that are awkward yeah. and like alienate the people who are rooting for him. Like he's he's like a, he's like an early Kurt Angle. Like he talks like a face, but it's getting him heel heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> like, what you mean. And then you, and it's like nobody wants to. It's, well, the the thing Even about the Benil is for Benil Daryush are doing it begrudgingly. Benil Daryush is a really exciting fighter, and that, I think that's one major difference. Like at least the UFC has some reason to like him, uh, but they still don't. They still I, are doing everything they I, can to get him a loss before a title shot. I don't think I don't think Bilal Muhammad's a boring fighter at all. Uh, Bilal Muhammad generally takes people down and controls them and suffocates and doesn't finish I don't almost know. ever. Ask, ask, Ask Sean Brady about that. I'm not saying that he doesn't have one finish in his last, I don't know, 10, 15 fights, turned, but... But he, he turned it around, but he also beat the shit out of Luke. Like, he beat him up. Uh, I mean, yeah, he... he but again, we're, if we look at where Luke is at this point in his career, like, it wasn't... When Bal Muhammad was winning, it wasn't exciting. It was when when Luke was winning that, that, that the fight was exciting, or at least when it was competitive. Uh, but, but look, again, I, I, I agree. If it was a meritocracy, it's either Bilal Muhammad or if Gilbert Burns beats... Um, George Masvidal, it's Gilbert Burns, right? Uh, I think Rachmanov needs a signature win. I, I think there's there's a there's like it, there is a bit of a transitionary period right now. It seems like in this division where we have uh, a handful of guys who are kind of on their way up, not quite deserving of a title shot yet. Maybe outside of Bilal Muhammad, then we have a, a handful of guys that are like on their way down, right? We we still have Stephen Thompson in this division. We still have Vincente Luque, who's been looking extremely, uh, who's lost a lot of his durability, who's been losing fights fairly regularly lately. We have Michael Chiesa, who went on a streak for a bit, and now is inching his way out of the out of the top rankings. And then we have Neil Magny, who, again, 
largely successful against up-and-comers who are not ready but loses to good opposition. Then we have up-and-comers like Jack Della Magdalena. We have, uh, uh, you know, argue, argue, oh, yeah, definitely Shafkat. Uh, arguably maybe Sean Brady, who's coming off his first prospect loss. We have Michelle Pereira, who could be argued as kind of an up-and-comer. Blah Muhammad, who's kind of at the top of the heap, who's actually already faced some of those top uh, opponents and, and done pretty well. So there is a little bit of a transitionary period, I think. And, heck, even for the title, we saw... We saw Kamaru Usman lose now to Leon Edwards twice, uh, something that would be unfathomable for most people leading into their rematch, right? Um, and so there is a there is a major transition. Leon Edwards himself is not a young guy, so he may just be part of that transition in a couple of years, but I'm curious where this ends up in a year or two. In the meantime, I think the winner of Burns... Well, I don't know about the winner. If Gilbert Burns beats Masvidal, that's, that should probably be who fights uh, Leon Edwards next. If you look at uh, the record of, of Kobe Covington... He's two and two in his last four fights, right? And and one of those times he was finished by Kamaru Usman. The other time he was decisioned by Kamaru Usman, and and that's the guy who lost two fights in a row to Leon Edwards. And then we have Tyron Woodley and George Masvidal, who he beat, Robbie Lawler, who he beat, Rafael dos Anjos, Damian Maya. Those are his last five wins, man. None of those guys are in the current top fifteen. He doesn't have a single win over the current top fifteen of the Walter Wright division. Does he really deserve that, or did he t- did he essentially talk his way in? Dana White likes him. They have similar politics. Um, I-, I think there's something to be said for the fact that again he makes noise, he promotes fights, and he fights for cheap. He's foolish enough, or his management is foolish enough, to have him not collect pay per view revenue when he's making all the noise for title fights and actually increasing the pay per view buys, presumably by a couple hundred thousand buys. But he's still not making getting a piece of the pie. So in many ways, he is kind of a UFC lackey in that way, right? He's a guy that once uh, had social media footage of Dana White at the gambling table with a very attractive young lady next to him who is maybe a quarter of his age, who's clearly not his wife. And this guy literally posted that footage and it became a big deal. After that, he never crossed Dana again. In fact, he gave this advice to Leon Edwards uh, in, in, the, in the last week, in the last few days. He said, don't cross the boss, right? So... Clearly, he's he's transitioned from trying to get the UFC's attention to now being a UFC lackey, and uh, and I think the UFC likes him for that reason and several others. The fact that the UFC asked him to be a fill-in, I think that was their way of going, Kobe, you don't generally cut, cut a lot of weight. Can you come in and make weight for this so we can give you the next title shot? It's an easy argument to make. And I think Kobe came in and did that, right? Like, Kobe made a lot of noise. He's, he wasn't kidding about the fact that, the like, when I first saw the weigh-in, when I started watching that weigh-in, and I saw Kamar Usman weigh in first. Then I saw Kobe Covington weigh in. I'd never heard anything about Kobe Covington being a backup fighter for this event. And I was like, "What the fuck? Why am I watching? Uh, uh, why am I watching um, the the weigh in for a previous UFC? This was like uh, several UFCs ago when Kobe Covington and Kamar Usman rematched, right? And then I look at the back sign and it says Edwards versus Usman three. So. I think this was all kind of a setup, and you're right. It's the fact that Colby Covington makes noise, and he can actually bring in some views and build some interest, because to have Bilal Muhammad and Leon Edwards talk shit to each other would not be interesting for anyone, and it wouldn't entice anybody that's on the on the fence to buy that pay-per-view. It wouldn't, it wouldn't entice anybody that's probably not buying that pay-per-view to consider buying the pay-per-view. So I think we're largely on the same page. Um, I do think Leon Edwards should stand his ground and be like, fuck that. The winner of Masvidal Edwards gets the matchup. Um, I do think Leon Edwards has a good shot of beating all three of these guys, for the record. Like, he, he's shown he has the skill as long as he's mentally in the right place. As long as Colby Covington or, or Masvidal don't push him off his off his tracks mentally, I think he's going to do well. Um, and, then, uh, and, and then let's get into, quickly, the rest of the card. I don't think we need to dive too deeply into this. We had uh, Justin Gaethje versus Rafael Vaziev. Obviously, an excellent fight. Fazeev's high-paced kicking game, his body shots were there, which I thought was important for him to beat Gaethje. 
Um, and, and I talked about how if I was making this pick in our competition, I would have picked Gaethje for the two points because this is that close on paper. And Gaethje, man, he started to counter Fiziev's counters in the second round. And he started to elongate. When Fiziev was trying to circle out, Gaethje would follow him in with some big looping shots that landed pretty clean. And he continued that trend in the third round where Fiziev looked pretty good early on. But then the trend started going in the other direction because Fiziev tends to get tired. And I talked about how he tries just as hard, hits just as hard when he's tired, but he's a little bit slower, right? He's he's uh, a little bit slower to react. And Justin Gaethje knew that going into this. Justin Gaethje, who trains that elevation, who was more conditioned and took advantage of it. Really good performance by Gaethje to show that he's still, you know, you give him a striker to face, he's going to do really well. And, and you better you better give him somebody with a nasty ground game if you expect him to, to get boggled. And, um, and it also, I think, is a credit to Charles Oliveira's power and that he hurt Gaethje couple times and Vizia couldn't yeah it was uh, it was pretty awesome um both neither you know uh Vizia's younger right yeah he's 30 uh Gaethje's what like 34 exactly. yeah it's like enjoy enjoy Justin Gaethje while we've got him um I'm curious to see what Vizia's ceiling is but he's it's he's an exciting guy I'm looking forward to him competing against the you know the rest of the, the elites in the division because we're just starting we're just he's really just arrived um, I agree. I do wonder, like, this cardio thing, when he faces somebody who's truly in the top eight or seven or eight of this division in a five-rounder, like, he's probably going to get finished in that fourth or fifth round by a really elite guy who's not going to give up that advantage like uh, RDA, who really belongs at 155. Yeah, well, well, we will see sooner rather than later. Who do you think should um, be next for Gaethje? Any thoughts on that? If we're looking at oh, 155... We have, I mean, Poirier, I think Poirier called him out. I may be mistaken, but everybody's talking about that rematch. I don't think Poirier has anything to gain from that. If I was Poirier, I would not take that fight. But I think Poirier's now in the, in the mode in his career where he wants to take fun fights. And Gaethje can see that fight bringing him closer to the title shot since Poirier's still ranked number two in the division. I mean, it's tricky because, like, I mean, Jalen Turner, Gaethje would be... I'm just trying to look for fun, oh, that'd fun, be great. fun fights for Gaethje. Fun fights for Gagey. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if he would I mean, take a fight against Gamrot or Taryukian, but I think those would be good opportunities for up-and-comers, and this would be an elite guy giving a chance to those up-and-comers. I don't know that yeah. he would take the fight because they're right below him, and he has not much to, to gain from it. Um, Dan Hooker might be a fight that he might take as just like a, I need another oh. win, but I, I think he's thinking title shot. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. I mean, if he wants an I need another win fight, I'd watch him fight Drew Dober because for. For 90 seconds, that would be thrilling. Yeah, yeah um, you're probably right. But yeah, I mean, at this point, it's it's Poirier if he wants to move up, and it would be an exciting matchup. If Poirier doesn't take that matchup, then he's probably ha- going to have no choice but to fight an up-and-comer. Unless Oliveira loses to Dariush, and they want to run that back. I think I think uh, Gaethje would be interested in that. I think Oliveira would look, that as an, look at that as an opportunity to get back in the win column if he loses to Dariush only. Well, it's really a question of if he really wants to make this a title run, then he's talking about the Dariushes and the Oliveras. Um, you know, and he's probably one fight away from a shot at Makachev. The other thing for him to do, if he wants to go money weight style, is Gagey against the winner or loser of Chandler Connor. Yeah, I don't know if Connor would want to do that, but, you know, why would well, he Connor's fight Chandler? Big, I mean, because it would, because it would make money. I'm just thinking about like, yes. like, it's just Chandler with like a two and four record at that point. Um, like, what does Gaethje have to win versus the risk? It's just, that, that's just that's just money. It's just I'm taking guess, action yeah. fights. But it's like if he wants if you if he wants if he wants to stay on the title reign, then he's 
then he's going to have to fight a Saryuka and a Gamrot. Like he's going to have to hold that line and get and get the next shot. If right. they are doing Benil Chuckyalos, maybe he gets the winner. I've I've got the, I think I've got the solution. If Gaethje is not fighting Dustin Poirier next, then Gaethje should fight George Masvidal. If Masvidal loses to Gilbert Burns, and then Gilbert Burns should get a title shot. What do you think? Sure, it's at 170, but this is an exciting fight with two well-known guys. It's going to be a great co-main event. I would obviously love for this to be five rounds, but it would be a great co-main event. It would be exciting as hell. Yeah, we haven't seen it before, but I don't really see any way that uh, Masvidal beats Gilbert Burns. Uh, No, but I'm saying if Masvidal loses to Burns. Uh, If Masvidal loses to Burns, then I should I mean, they're they're a division apart. It would be more of a fun fight than anything else. And even, honestly, if Masvidal beats Gilbert Burns, he shouldn't be up for a title shot if... if, uh, if Edwards has his way, he probably will be up for a title shot. And we're going to figure out whether Edwards wins in this one yeah. or the UFC. I tend to think Edwards will blink first, as he tends to do overall. Um, but anyway, yeah, look, there's there's options ahead, which is not a, not a bad place to be, I think, for any of these fighters. And some exciting stuff for the fans to watch as well. Gunnar Nelson ran through Bar- Brian Barbarina. That three-pointer didn't work out for you. Uh, Jennifer Maya, who I was so confident in. I was so upset, Nick, that you took her before I did for two points. Uh, she beat Casey Neal by decision. But what made me feel better is that I had a bet on Jennifer Maya by decision. I think it was pl- something like plus 210 I caught her at. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, Marvin Vittori edged Roman Delitz, who Delitz probably edged, uh, uh, doled out the more punishment. But Vittori, you know, looked a little bit craftier, looked a little bit more of a veteran, landed more strikes. But again, man, he was buzzed several times throughout that fight. You can make the argument he was buzzed uh, in two of those rounds, which on paper should mean that he won two of those rounds. But unfortunately for him, he did not. And and it's unfortunate for Delitz, who his only two losses now in the UFC are to are very, very close decisions that could have, you know, could very well have gone his way. Like, it doesn't look terrible on the resume, but there's still two losses in that column. Um, for Vittori, you know, again, he's at this point kind of a, uh, an elite journeyman, right? If you can beat Vittori, then you're in that top four or so conversation. If you lose to Vittori, then you're simply not ready for that. I think this loss isn't going to hopefully hurt Dolitz too badly. But for Vittori next, I mean... He already lost to Adesanya and Whitaker. Jared Cannonier makes the most sense. I think he called out Cannonier. Cannonier's already lost for the title. I think that's the matchup to make. Vittori's basically fought everybody in the top five at this point, besides the champion in uh, Alex Pereira. And the way he's talking, he's not up for that title shot. He's not yet, but I, I'd also see him fight Duplessis or Strickland. I think those would both be fun. Fights. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely into that. And then for Dolids, I would be happy with either Duplessis or Strickland. Uh, by the way, Vittori wouldn't fight Strickland in all likelihood. They're friends. They're now training partners. Oh, that's again. right. That's Roman right. Dolids, who you Used to be a training partner of Strickland's. I would be interested in either the Strickland matchup or or uh, um, or the Duplessis matchup. I think that would be fun. Jack Shore basically had a rough first round against Marquan Armikani. Most people do, and then he just took over and dominated because Marquan Armikani doesn't have the conditioning or the uh, kind of mental strength to to make it through more than a few minutes of fighting. Chris Duncan edged out Omar Morales in a close one. Um, Yanal Ashmaz, who's, I think, the third UFC fighter ever from Israel, uh, ended up knocking out highly touted prospect Sam Peterson. That one hurt because that was a pick of mine. Uh, Mohamed Makaya, man, fully extended knee bar against, uh, basically gave up a fully extended knee bar against Jafel Filho. Clearly hyperextended his knee to an insane angle and then ended up uh, taking over and, fi- and finishing Philo, who took the fight on a few days' notice. I wonder if Philo would have ended up winning that fight had he had a uh, proper opportunity to train. Any uh, thoughts on any of those, man? I mean, it, it was a good, good undercard. Like, yeah, really, you know, really. Shore, good Shore looked awesome. You know, Duncan Jake Hadley looked, good. looked great. Yep. 
asthma of just crushed that guy. Jake, yeah, Jake Hadley with two body shots. Nasty man. By the way, Malcolm Gordon, um, once I heard that Malcolm Gordon didn't make weight, I started to get suspicious. And then in an interview, um, uh, somebody, either him or his coach, mentioned that he was like peeing parts of his liver or something out. And I remember thinking, oh, I got to change this pick. And then I completely forgot to text you that I'm changing the pick. And of course, he gets smoked with the first body shot. Like, your liver's going to be suffering. You're going into a fight. You're going up against a body puncher and Jake Hadley. You better believe that's not going to go well for you, especially a guy with durability issues like Malcolm Gordon. And then uh, Joanne Wood looked pretty decent against Luana Carlina. She she did her thing. It was a split decision. It probably should have been more, you know, more kind of more decisive decision. I thought it was a pretty, I thought she won overwhelmingly. Uh, That's what I thought too. And but Luana Carlina tends to make it look close to the judges just about every time out. She she was starting to have a bit of a comeback and starting to look good against Molly McCann before she got knocked out in her last fight as well. And then we have uh, Jay Herbert, Ludovic Klein. You got fortunate that Ludovic Klein uh, ended up getting a a draw there because a point was deducted from Jay Herbert. To be fair, I don't think it's terribly unfair to deduct something from Jay Herbert. He should have gotten a disadvantage for holding out to that fence. But, you know... Just judging by the way the fight went, if he would have given up that takedown, he would have been fine and still, still probably won that fight because he was just outlanding Ludovic Klein and doing really well at a distance. Um, his durability is not great, but it's hard to get to him if you're purely just a striker without the kind of explosiveness uh, that we saw exhibited by Ilya Temporia. And then Veronica Hardy, man, who you know used to be Veronica Macedo, didn't look so good in the UFC, married Dan Hardy. You know, definitely, he's definitely rounded out her game. He's helped her in that way. And then she beat, you know, basically a novice who has some potential in Juliana Miller, Miller as a big, big underdog. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these women's fights have been going to the underdogs lately, man. And and uh, and, and I'm starting to trend my bets in that direction as well. Uh, Nick, that'll do it for that one. Should we dive into UFC Fight Night Vera versus Sanhagen? Yes, sir. Let's do this. We each take turns picking fighters on the card. Uh, a regular pick is worth one point. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 to plus 249, you get two points if that underdog wins. You pick an underdog of plus 250 or above, and that underdog wins, you get three points. And and that's been a good way for, for us to kind of catch up on each other if one of us is, is far in the lead. And Nick, my first pick is going to be in the matchup between Manel Kopp and Alex Perez. Alex Perez seemed like a title contender for a while there. His pressure wrestling game, his power punching game looked pretty good. He trains with a pretty good team uh, in Team Oyama. But lately, he's been kind of getting taken out of there in the first round. Alexander Patoja, first round rear naked choke. Uh, Davidson Figueredo, first round guillotine choke. Joseph Benavidez in 2018, toward the end of Joseph Benavidez's kind of prime, uh, ground and pound finish in round one. What what I've noticed with him is that if he can dominate you, a guy with you know a lot of holes like Jose Formiga, Jordan Espinosa, Mark De La Rosa. First of all, Espinosa and De La Rosa are low level fighters. Formiga is a pretty decent win, especially the Alekics in the first round. But if you start to take the momentum on him, he doesn't tend to come back. And Manel Cop is not the kind of guy to just give up momentum and not come back. We saw Manel Cop tested in his last matchup uh, against David Dvorak in a really good fight in which Dvorak was not going away easy, had some good moments, got takedowns, but. Manel Kopp is, just has this supreme confidence about him, and it seems to be helping his game. He's the kind of guy that if he gets mollywopped by somebody, I think his confidence will suffer and, and his whole career might go down the drains. But while he has that confidence, while he's facing guys with the kind of holes that Alex Perez has, I think he's got what it takes. Manel Kopp is extremely fast. He's a, kind of a patient pressure counter-striker. He pressures forward, stays right in front of your face, waits for you to make a mistake, and with his speed and reflexes, he counters with power and speed and usually with combos. Um, again, his his explosiveness, his flying knees, uh, the speed with which he hits strikes, he's not likely to 
submit Alex Perez unless Alex Perez wants to be taken out and he kind of finds a way out. But I think I think Menel Cobb does well here. In all likelihood, he gets finished. I'm sorry, Alex Perez gets finished. I'm with you on that one. A little bit surprised you picked it first, but, you know, good on you. Um, my first pick, I'm going to go in the co-main event. I still think Holly Holm has enough left to beat Yana Santos. Um, we know what Holm's going to do. She's a better kickboxer. She's pr- at least as physically as strong, I would think. And her technique up against the cage has uh, has beaten better fighters uh, than Yana. Unless Yana's like really, really turned a corner, she's had some very close fights and some defeats against much lower level competition. Um, yes, the wheels are going to fall off the bus eventually for Holly Holm. I don't think it's against Yana's hand. Yeah, it's interesting. Both of these girls are tall, blonde, attractive fighters who have 14 and 6 records. But they've gotten there taking very different paths. Holly Holm is still riding, I think, the kind of momentum of her huge upset win over Ronda Rousey. And she's had a, a handful of losses, a handful of fights that probably should have been losses since then. Um, she's transitioned from being like a distant, almost Caitlin Shukagian-like, like I'll throw strikes an inch from your face and make lots of noise as I do it and win decisions that way. She's gone from that to being just just like a grinder, just holding you up against the fence if she can't take you down. If she can take you down, she'll get on top and hold you down and not do a damn thing from there. And uh, the thing about Yana Kuniskaya is that she tends to kind of give in to that kind of style. We've seen her lose to to, to kind of uh, clinch fighters like Aspen Ladd, who was able to out-hustle her in that clinch. Even though she has wins over girls like Caitlin Vieira um, and Julia Sterlingo, who's not a very good fighter, let's face it. Irina Aldana was able to finish her. Um, uh, by the way, Santos, uh, Yana Kuniskaya is now Yana Santos because she married Tiago Santos, and I think they're just one of the cutest MMA couples ever. Nick, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you on Holly Holm, but again, all these female underdogs have been coming through. Anytime these odds are wide apart, Nick, it's usually overinflated, and there's usually an opportunity on the dog, but uh, but I tend to agree with you. Uh, also, kind of surprised you're picking it this early, but I, I think you're right. I think she's going to hold her in the clinch and, and waste time away and maybe even get top position where Santos is not the best from bottom position. Just unfortunate that both for Tiago and Yana, their careers have been kind of going in the wrong direction, in the wrong trajectory as they're as they're getting married, as they're, as they're kind of starting their life together. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup. Between Nate Landwehr and Austin Lingo. Austin Lingo is not very athletic. He trains uh, at 4-7 to May, right? A really good camp, so like that's to his credit. I think the fact that he trains under a good coach and Saif Saud has really helped him in his career. But Nate Landwehr is essentially, like, he's just a pressure swarmer. He will throw 100 million strikes at you until you don't want to do this anymore. He will go through tough times. If you can't finish him, and he's been finished a few times in the UFC in the first round by big strikes, if you can't finish him early, he is going to take over and make life hell for you. And I tend to think he's going to do that. Austin Lingo has a shot of getting, like, a first-round knockout because he does hit hard. But I, I think he's out-athleted out here, outpaced here, and out-experienced. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on the pick, too. So Nate Landwehr all the way. What's your next pick, buddy? Uh, my next pick is I. I'm gonna go to the middleweight fight. I think I think Chidi uh, Edjikawani is going to highlight real Albert Drive. Yeah, I can I can see why you think so. Drive is like a really good pressure grinder wrestler, but he's too comfortable standing for a guy that's not very good at it. And he's too hittable. It takes too much damage. The damage is visible on his face, and his cardio is not great. He can take down Chidi. Chidi's very easy to take down. He's easy to control from top position, even though he's now a jiu-jitsu black belt. But I tend to think you're right. I tend to think Chidi will hopefully survive the first few moments, the first round and a half of rough moments, and then start to put some pressure on Arbor and land some big bombs and, and get him out of there. 
Uh, Albert, again, is tough, but his conditioning is not great. And Chidi, the way that he lost last time is he basically just decided, like, oh, I'm getting hit hard. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to cover up and wait for the referee to stop it when he fought Gregory Rodriguez in a fight that was largely back and forth until then. Um, you know, I have doubts about Chidi's perseverance versus Derives, who has decent perseverance, but Chidi is just such a sharp, sharp Muay Thai striker. His clinch is nasty. His distance strikes, his kicks, his snap kicks to the body, his his uh, his punches are explosive and fast and straight. Um, he's really, really good. It's just unfortunate he has the weaknesses that he has. I'm going to edge Chidi, but I'm surprised uh, you are as confident as to pick him this early. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Tucker Lutz and Daniel Pineda. Um, Daniel Pineda is really dangerous early. He's just a violent fighter, whether it be with the submissions or with the strikes, but he falls apart after a few minutes. He's been popped for steroids a couple of times. Presumably for that reason, under USADA, he is now off the juice, and he's 37 years old. At you know, at 170 pounds, not the best place to be. Uh, or is it 100? It might be this fight. I think this fight is actually 145. Excuse me. Um, and that's not a great place to be at that age, especially when your cardio has already been waning. I, I like Tucker Lutz here. Tucker Lutz. Um, you know, he's 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 got good offensive wrestling. He's got good fundamental striking. His leg kicks are decent. Um, he can get out wrestled by a really really good wrestler. But Daniel Pineda will will not be a really good wrestler outside of like the first few minutes of this fight. I think Tucker Lutz makes it through a rough few moments and then takes over. I like that pick. Um, I'm going to go with another fight. You're probably going to disagree with where I'm taking it, but I got to get the underdog shot here. Uh, for three points, I am going to uh, go with Andrea Lee to defeat Macy Barber. I think the odds here are insane. I think that I think this fight really favors Andrea Lee. The, the reason why is because Barber is a pressure charger, but her strike, she's not a very technical striker. Like she's a, She's a brawler. Andrea Lee has a precision, like is a precision piston puncher. I think she's going to catch Bar uh, Barber going in um, a lot in this fight. I think she's going to snap her head back. I think she's going to jab her up. I know that Andrea Lee, um, and you know she's questionable politics, questionable boyfriends, etc. But she's not that far. It's been less than a year since she destroyed uh, Cynthia Cavillo. And yes, she lost to Viviana Rojo, but Viviana, Viviana Rojo is a much, who I know that Rojo herself just lost. Um, that was, uh, lost twice to Grasso and, and recently to Hivas. But Grasso is the champion and, you know, Hivas, I think Hivas is, is much more elite than, than Macy Barber is at this point in her career. It, I don't think Lee is, the, if the Lee that came in against, um, you know, Antonio Shevchenko, the lead that came in against uh, Cynthia Cavillo is, I, I think, someone who's gonna is gonna really piece up uh, Macy Barber and Macy. We haven't seen Macy Barber be really great, uh, you know, at a Plan B. So, yeah, I think uh, I like I like Lee here as long as if she's confident and her head is on straight. I think it should be her fight to lose, and I certainly think the odds are insane based on what we've seen from Barber. I think, given the trend of female underdogs coming through. Um, more often than they should. I think for that reason, it's a good pick, especially for three points. But I, I have to favor Macy Barber. I think DeAndrea Lee that sat on, basically gave in against Viviana Rojo and like didn't want to do it anymore and gave up the will to, to actually win the fight and just went into survival mode. And she was pushed through by, uh, I, I think, Tony, I forget her boyfriend's name, who, who washed out of the UFC, but she was kind of motivated by him in the corner, and that's why she made it to a decision. But, dude, like, against a faster, more explosive fighter, she was not trying to be there and trying to fight through tough moments. Cynthia Calvillo, we all know at this point in her career, 
is ready to give up on the stool. She gave up on the stool in that fight against Lee. Antonina Shevchenko, we know the Shevchenko sisters, their defensive grappling, granted at two different leagues, defensive grappling is not great, and she got out grappled by her. Outside of that, Lee lost to Roxanne Matafari, Lauren Murphy, and Joanne Wood, all by competitive decisions, right? But she is two and four in her last four fights, whereas Macy Barber, yeah, she wasn't ready for the big time earlier in her UFC career. Her losses are to Roxanne Matafari and Alexa Grasso. Matafari, granted, probably would have beat her anyway, but she had a terrible knee injury in that one. Alexa Grasso was the current champ. She beat Miranda Maverick shouldn't have. Shouldn't have gotten that decision. She beat Montana Lederos, who's a decent opponent. She beat Jessica I in her retirement fight. I just think that what uh, Macy Barber's going to be able to do is pressure in, get the clinch, clock her from there, just continuously out-athlete her from that clinch range. If she stands at the end of Andrea Lee's punches, she's probably going to lose. But Andrea Lee, once things start going against her, she doesn't do too well. And even though she looks more conditioned, I'm not convinced that her conditioning is like that much better than it was, once was. She looks like now she's coming in ripped, right? Like very low body fat since she got with uh, Tony... Uh, Again, I forget the man's last name who, who she is currently seeing. Um, she's stepped up her game when it comes to strength and conditioning, but I'm still not convinced that, that she's, uh, she's primed for this one. For three points, though, if, if it really is three points, I think you're making the right call. My next pick is going to be in the well, matchup. Hang, mm-hmm. hang on. She's plus, she's plus 220 almost across the board. Oh, uh, you, would have, you would need plus 250 to get three points. That's a two-pointer. Ah, oh, shit. Oh. I thought it was plus 200. Yeah. All right. I'll see. I'll still take it. Uh, yeah, again, for two, it's double the freaking points. Just triple would have been kind of crazy. That's why I was surprised at the the odds, um, uh, the suggestion that the odds were that far apart. But they're still pretty far apart. Far apart. So uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between. Um, I, th- I think I'm going to pick in the matchup between Daniel De Silva and CJ Vergara. Daniel De Silva is super dangerous, super explosive for a few minutes and then completely falls apart. CJ Vargara is super tough early, and then starts to take over late as his opponent starts to tire. He's shown that he has the ability to do that. For that reason, I think CJ Vargara should be a favorite, just not as big of a favorite as he is, given the athletic disparity. But again, Daniel De Silva just doesn't have the wherewithal to make it through more than three or four minutes, even if he's dominating. Everything starts to fall apart for him, and CJ Vargara is the kind of pressure fighter that'll take advantage of that hole. Noted. Uh, I think I'm going to... I'm going to take, I'm going to take the opener... I don't understand. Tamir is uh, Vidal fighting out fighting out of Brazil. You know, has has a UFC win. She's fighting against Haley Cowan, who who looks like a million bucks. Like she's you know she's gorgeous, but she got a split decision win on the Contender series. Um, although I'm seeing it all over, I'm seeing it all over the place here actually. When it but comes not, to the odds or what? Uh, the the uh, yeah the odds I'm, it's the odds seem weirdly inconsistent as I'm looking around different sites. I thought that earlier when I was looking that Vidal, that Vidal uh, was the favorite. Oh, that, that ha- it has gone back and forth, I believe, this fight has. Yeah, it's gone back and forth a lot. I don't know why. Um, but I'm going to go, I'm gonna go with the, young, the younger fighter with UFC experience um, and, pick, and pick Vidal over, over Cohen, who I don't think is UFC ready. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cohen is basically kind of a Cow- boring... Cowan, rather. Cowan. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but she's just kind of a boring clinch fighter for the most part. Not great off her back, but pretty decent from top position. Her striking is pretty robotic. Whereas Tamir Svidal, like, she didn't look great on the come-up, but she looked pretty decent in her UFC debut. The fact that she has UFC experience now, you know, now that she has the resources that she didn't used to have being a UFC fighter, whether it be in Brazil or at the UFC PI, I tend to think you're right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lean toward Vidal, but Cowan can just hold her up against the fence and, and presumably want to fight that way. It's, it's again, a, a pick em. Uh, between two low-level fighters, and and I want no part of it, so I'm glad you made that pick. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Trey Ogden and Emmanuel Torres. Um, 
Uh, Manuel Torres has his upsides. I just feel like Trey Ogden's going to have a decent edge on the ground. And and he looked pretty good in his last UFC fight. Came in as, as a pretty decent-sized underdog and basically just like out-hustled and outpaced his opposition. It wasn't about landing big strikes. It was about just like the fundamentals. Keeping him out at range and, and outlanding him, outpacing him. And I think he should be able to do that here. And also, I think Trey Ogden by submission is... Com- like completely within the realm of possibility. As, as much as Manuel Torres has has some chops standing up, I don't think that he's going to get the chance to stand up as much as he'd like to in this matchup. So I like Trey Ogden to pick up the win here. Cool. I'm going to go with the main event. Uh, God, this is a really tricky one to pick. The odds... Uh, well, I think... I mean, Jesus, Vera's almost a two-pointer here. And he might be, but right now he's, it's so close. He's at plus 145 on two. Yeah, pretty close there. Uh, in two books, uh, but he's not. So I'm, oh, you got a five round. Let's just think about the things that make this interesting. It's five rounds. Uh-huh. You've got a slow starter against a pretty good starter. You've got, uh, so slow starter Vera, pretty good starter, Sanhagen. You've got uh I would argue Sanhagen is not the quickest starter, not the uh, quickest starter, but he's a, but he's not a bad starter. I mean, yeah, not as bad, not as bad as is true. Not as bad as Vera in some his, instances. I mean, his rounds against Jan, and he also has just like a bunch of first round finishes. Like, um, that's fair. So, but we've got five rounds, and I mean, Senhagen's very good, and he's and he's more well rounded, I think, and he's got uh, and he's got reach. He doesn't always use his reach as well as he should. But he's fighting against a guy, Cheeto Vera, who's one of those fighters who does damage every time he touches you. Yeah. Um, and that's over five rounds. I think this is going to be a messy uh, a messy split decision. But the fact of the matter is Corey Sandhagen has more ways to win. Um, they both have very – I think they both have very strong will. And maybe not the ultimate strongest will, but they've got, they both got pretty strong will. I think – I think uh, – Vera could be in trouble if Sanhagen takes him down. I can see those long legs getting a body triangle. We've seen Vera not be great at getting out of that position. And Sanhagen has options if Vera's getting to him. That combined with the fact that I don't expect Vera... I love both of these guys. They're both great. I wish they could both win. I think I'm going to pick Corey Sanhagen to get a split decision. Yeah, I, I, I'm edging Sanhagen too because I think Marlon Vera's style is the kind of style that eventually gets exploited in that you, it's like he doesn't care about winning rounds because he knows he has the power to hurt you terribly. And he does it consistently. In his last three fights, Nick, how many knockdowns do you think the man has? Marlon Vera. In his last three fights against Frankie Edgar, Rob Font, and Dominic Cruz. Uh, four. Seven knockdowns in three fights. Obviously, uh, two of them he won by knockout. So, so p- part of those, like the Frankie Edgar, was just a not one knockdown in which he finished him. But seven knockdowns in three fights. Now, these are against three guys that are not very durable. Frankie Edgar, who's been getting knocked out left and right. Rob Font, who's been getting dropped out left and right, uh, left and right, leading up to that fight. Although he made it to a decision, and Rob Font outstruck um, Marlon Vera two seventy one to one fifty nine neck, and. Marlon Vera heard him multiple times throughout that fight and still won a decision, right? He was he was beaten in almost every moment of that fight except for a few seconds per round. And then Dominic Cruz, man, 92 strikes for Dominic Cruz to 61 for Marlon Vera. It's dangerous not to be fighting to win rounds. Now, as much as we have seen Corey Sadenhagen is durable and headstrong, we did see him get dropped in his last fight against Jan, and we've seen that Jan is not quite 
at that level that we all kind of assumed that he was. Lately, he's been, you know, he's been he's been going through the ringer a little bit. Three losses in a row. Uh, you know, obviously different level of decisiveness, but he just got dominated by Murad Bivishvili, who who had a, a more competitive fight with Jose Aldo. Um, so I tend to agree with you. I think Corey Sanhagen, he's going to pitter-patter. He's going to continue to throw his strikes. He's going to remain somewhat dangerous, but not not likely to finish Vera, whereas Vera will remain extremely dangerous throughout the fight, but I tend to think he's going to be behind on points. It might be the kind of thing where Vera buzzes him a couple of times and Sanhagen doesn't necessarily drop, and then we're talking about what should have been valued more in the decision, but I tend to think maybe Corey Sanhagen will get a will get a slight edge here. Uh, again, it's hard to be confident enough to pick this this early, so I probably would have picked a, another fight or two before this one, even though we're down down to the last few here. Um I'm edging Corey Sanhagen slightly, but Marlon Vera has this Yoel Romero quality, man, where he doesn't give a shit if you win the first two rounds. You give him three, you give him rounds three, four, and five, he has plenty of opportunity to knock you the hell out. And he's been doing it consistently. The man has a bunch of knockdowns in his UFC career. Besides the seven in his last three fights, he's got eight, nine, ten. He's got 11, 12. He's got 12 knockdowns in his UFC career, man. And, and several of them are way earlier in his career where he's fighting lower-level opposition, but he's just looking so dangerous nowadays. Uh, I agree with you on Sanhagen, but it's a close one. It's a tough one to be confident in, and that's why it's, uh, it's kind of come this late in the competition. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Lucas Alexander and Steven Peterson. Steven Peterson is a journeyman, but he's the kind of journeyman that, like, if you have an up-and-comer on the original scene, you don't want him to face Steven Peterson because Steven Peterson is going to put pressure on him. He's, gonna, he's not going to be the most technical guy, but he's going to make you fight at a pace that you really cannot keep up with. I'm going to go with Steven Peterson. Lucas Alexander is a really sharp kickboxer, and if Steven Peterson stands at, stays at the end of his strikes, he's going to be in trouble. But I don't think Steven Peterson is going to do that. He's going to close the distance, get takedowns, and Alexander is takeable, downable. So I'm going to go with Steven Peterson who's going who's gonna to make it a dogfight. And I'm going to go with um, the always depressing uh, Trevin Giles to take down Preston Parsons and make and win an extremely boring fight. Yeah, I'm, I agree. Trevin Giles is super low output. Um, Preston Parsons is a really good wrestler, good pressure fighter. I'm going to go with Preston Parsons, but I, I don't blame you for going with Giles. I just feel like Giles, since he went down to 170, things have not been looking too good for him. Um, and then finally, the Victor Altamirano-Venetia Salvador fight. I'll give the slight edge to Altamirano to survive a rough first round, round and a half, and then and then kind of start to walk away with it as his conditioning wins out. Nick All right, Reynolds, so in the bonus, that's, that's the bonus fight. We, yep. go with, we both have the Italians. Awesome, man. I can't wait to see... Uh, how this shapes up. Me too, man. Looking forward to it. I'm hoping I can get that edge back, man. I need that point and a half back, Nikolai. Uh, you, uh, based on the way I picked today, you very well might. All right, I bud. I'll catch you next week. Bye. See you then.